Once you get there, we can follow along in Acts chapter 10. We're uh, continuing on our series. So we have, uh, we have, like I said, we have some common elements from last week. We have God working on two different sides of this story. We have Cornelius who's praying before the Lord. And we're going to talk a fair bit about Cornelius this morning and how to be a Cornelius. Uh, even though it's a weird name. I went to Bible college with a man named Corneliu. They dropped the S off. He was Romanian. Uh, and he was a great guy. But um, here we have Cornelius of the of the Bible, who also is obviously a, a great man. And God is speaking to him. While at the same time, the, ne- the very next day, as they are going to uh, meet with Peter, as they're going to find Peter, Peter also has a vision. The Holy Spirit is also speaking uh, and working in Peter and drawing him. And they're, he's drawing both sides of these together. So... Um, jumping back into the story with Cornelius, I think we should want to, as we look at Cornelius and look at um, the kind of man he is, we we certainly, as we look at him, should identify with him. Now, regularly throughout Scripture, I'll identify myself with, with different characters, and I'll go, I am like that person, like Samson. <laughs> I identify myself with Samson. Maybe because I'm strong, but also because I'm a little dumb like he was. <laughs> sometimes my faith is not as strong, and sometimes uh, I, I I wish that I, you know, I, I wish that I would be stronger for the Lord in my early life, um, and, and I have room to grow. And so, and when I look at Paul, yes, I, I identify with Paul. I see when he says things like. Uh, the things that I, the things that I want to do, I never end up doing, and all the things that I don't want to do, that I know that the Spirit tells me is wrong, all the things I don't want to do, those sins, that's what I'm doing. I can't, no, I can't stop myself, and I go, oh, I can relate to that. Unfortunately, uh, we can't relate to Paul in the sense that he is the most Jewish of Jewish Pharisees. And so, from that chapter, we have Paul, who's going to be called to the Gentiles. He begins ministering to the Jewish people because that's what he knows. This is in chapter 9. We talked about it last week. And now we have Peter who is ministering to the Gentiles who's going to be ministering to the Jewish people and already has been ministering to the Jewish people. But we have both of these men of God, Paul and Peter, the people that we um, end up looking up to quite a bit, people who've written a lot of scripture, who, who uh, led the early church and were the, uh, the leaders of the early church throughout the known world. Um, and so we, we can look up to them, but we can also look at Cornelius because Cornelius most closely resembles at least closer than Peter and, and Saul would have and Paul would have, he most closely resembles the kind of lifestyle that we live, being that we are Gentiles. We're, we're outside of the Jewish culture. We're outside of the Jewish faith, although we are a continuation of the Jewish faith. Uh, but we don't understand Jewish customs. We are not familiar with Jewish sayings, which often come up in Scripture, and we are, we're not Jewish. We just aren't. And so when we look at Cornelius, we can see the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on more than just God's chosen people, the Jews. Now deciding that now now God is showing that his chosen people are all kinds of people, are all people of all walks of life. And so Cornelius represents a good example for us. So if uh, for us, I think all of us would would like to hear from the Lord. I think ju- just starting from that launching point, th- starting from wanting to be someone who has an encounter with the Holy Spirit. If we are a, a church 
And if you are a person individually who wants to encounter Jesus, who wants to experience the Holy Spirit in your life, if you want to hear from the Lord, which I hope that you do, coming to church isn't going to be enough. Coming to hear the pastor preach is, is, is one step in that, and that is important, but it's not the only step. So if we want to hear from the Lord, we can follow what the kind of person that Cornelius is, because he does hear from the Lord. Starting right, right from verse 1, it says, At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, who was, in, who, who was in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need, and he prayed to God regularly. Though there, as I read that, I see uh, four very clear starting points for us as believers. What, what, what we observe about Cornelius is what we should look up to. First of all, it says that he is devout. Not only that, not only does it say that Cornelius is devout, it says his whole family is devout. That word devout is a root of the word or similar to the word devoted. And they are devoted to their faith. They're devout in their faith. Now, when people say, oh, he's a devout Catholic or he's a devout Christian in this day and age, um, I think they have cheapened the word in this day and age. What they are saying is he goes to church all the time. What, what they're not saying about Cornelius is he goes to church all the time. His faith in God is devout in that he is solely committed to his relationship with God. And so he, his, his being devout is more than just the, the uh, going through the rote and going through the traditions of going to church and praying and doing nice things and giving to the poor. It's much deeper than that. He's devout and his whole family is devout and they're committed to their faith in God. We don't know much more than that, but I wanted to emphasize and highlight on that. And verse 2 says that they were also God-fearing. That has to mean that they're wise. They make wise decisions because the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what Proverbs tells us. And so they respect God, and they are in turn, Cornelius and his household are respected. When, when the men come to Joppa and they talk to Simon Peter, when they talk to Peter, uh, they come and they say, this man is well respected by the Jews, meaning it, it, they, they may not associate with him because it wasn't their law and their custom to do so, but they at least thought highly of him. Well, Cornelius, on the flip side, thinks extremely highly of God. Not only does he respect God, but he fears not being obedient to him. He wanted to be obedient to God, and I think we can certainly learn from that. The third thing is that those characteristics led Cornelius to action. Because not only did he, was he devout in his faith, be, part of being devout in your faith is living it out. And this is the practical way that Luke tells us that Cornelius is living out his faith. He says in verse 3 that he was giving generously to those in need. Not giving begrudgingly, not giving because he felt like he had to, and not giving just a little pittance, not just a, a small little bit, but giving generously. He gave generously to those in need. That's a man who's living out his faith. That's a devout man because he believes what the Word of God tells us and believes Jesus' teachings about the poor and the needy that we give to those who have need, according to verse 3. And fourthly, and certainly, one of the most important things, it says he prayed regularly. Now, all of these are foundational things. These are simple things. But in my life, I've found that sometimes the simplest things are the hardest things to do. Tara and I recently started a brand new... We are working to be more strict with our budget because our budget oftentimes ends up being 
oh, it's okay, we'll make it up next month. And as soon enough, if you string 16 of those months together, you don't make it up next month. <laughs> and so we all know the foundations of budgeting. Everyone here knows how to uh, have money at the end of the month. It's to not spend it. That's the, the simple truth. I remember hearing a quote when I was growing up. What's the easiest way to be, you know, what's the simplest way to be a millionaire? Well, to spend less than you make and to do it for a really long time. That's a really simple way of having money you know, a simple way to, it, it's overly simplistic, but here's the deal. We all understand that. Tara and I, under, we it's not a surprise to us. Oh yes, spend less than you make. That's a very simple teaching. Simple to understand, difficult to put into practice. Well, I mean, we all know uh, intrinsically, if we want to lose weight, we eat less calories and expend more calories. We, you know, eat less and exercise more. Easy to understand. It's not like I don't understand that. Difficult to practice. Following the Lord, reading our Bible, spending time in prayer. All these things, they're, they're not, they're foundational. These are not difficult things to understand, but sometimes they are difficult things to implement. Super easy to understand. Super difficult for North American Christians to actually follow. The reason I know that is when you look at statistics, and I wish I'd written them down as a, looking at statistics of, of Christians, Christians in North America who are asked about their Bible reading habits. It is sad. It is sad. Christians don't know the Bible in North America. When you go to foreign countries where God is moving and there's revival and there's, there's a move of the Holy Spirit and churches are growing and God is working powerfully, Christians are sitting down with a page of the Bible and memorizing it because they're going to pass that page on to someone else because that's all they have is a page or two at a time. They're writing it down on chalkboards and as a class they're memorizing it because they don't have a physical word of God in their possession. I can't even tell you how many Bibles are in my house. And that doesn't even include the ones that we've bought for camp in previous years. I, I'm Dozens. I'm not exaggerating. It's easy to know that we have to read the Bible, and yet, unfortunately, human nature, sinful human nature, makes it difficult to implement. If we want to hear God, we need to be in prayer. We need to be devout about it. We need to be doing His work with the poor. We need to fear Him. It's not, it's not super difficult to understand, once again, but I want to remind us and encourage us that the only way to hear God is to be listening to Him. I realize how simple that sounds, and yet it is foundational if you really want to hear God. I think what's, what, what betrays us is not that we um, don't know how to hear God, I think sometimes maybe it's that we don't want to hear God. We don't want to be convicted by the Holy Spirit. Why would you? That's, I mean, that's part of it. Sin separates us from God because we don't want to be in the presence of a holy God when we are unholy. And so instead of being devout in our faith and doing, we maybe go through the motions of coming to church. And that's, there's a season for that maybe, but I, I, my heart's desire is that none of us would be trapped in that cycle of just coming to church because it's comfortable and it's what we do. I want to be people who are devout in our faith. I would love to be a church full of Corneliuses who are regularly hearing from God, who the Holy Spirit is leading us to do things like this, like send people out and say that this person's going to come and preach. Or this per please run it by me first as the pastor, but... <laughs> Uh, we, we, we need our leaders to rise up and be led by the Holy Spirit. I believe we're seeing that. We're seeing glimpses of that with things like women of faith. 
when we when we are obedient to God and God leads us and calls us to start something, something that 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 is His will and in His timing, we have leaders who are obedient to that call and say, "Yes, Lord, I will. I'll lead that ministry, even though I'm busy." <laughs> I'm thankful we we have in time we're we're praying about and considering what we're going to do with men's ministry, men's breakfast at some point, Lord willing, when when the timing is right. And that's that's led by the Spirit. That's not because the pastor stood up and said, "Hey, listen, we got I, every church I went to had a men's breakfast, so we better do it too." No, we want to be obedient to the Holy Spirit. We need leaders who are very much like Cornelius, who are devout and listening for the Holy Spirit to speak. If we want to actually hear it, if we want to actually hear God, we need to be in prayer and devoted to it. We have to be devout about it we have to be doing his work i i believe that if we're listening to god he will tell us to do things and part of it is going to be about the poor part of it is going to be about our generosity part of it is going to be about being obedient to god and what his word says about giving and finances and and so if we are going to um commit ourselves to that then we'll see god working and i think if we're not willing to commit ourselves to those things to fear him I think we're showing that we don't fear him if we if we if we don't not obedient to his word. So continuing on, our, our second lesson now comes from Peter's vision. As Peter has this vision, he has this. It's kind of a weird vision. God tells him to go and kill and eat an unclean animal, and Peter basically tells God, "No, go away. I, I've never. Why? Why are you telling me to do this, God? Why are you testing me this way?" Surely not, Lord. In verse fourteen, so a voice told Peter, "Get up, Peter. Kill and eat." Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. A third time it said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Why am I repeating that? Well, when God repeats things, they're important. That's been my experience in my life. Oftentimes God repeats a lesson to me because I've been unwilling to hear it the first two times or unwilling to heed it. It's happened three times and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. And while Peter was wondering about the meaning of the vision, the men sent by Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out asking if Simon, who was known as Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. God is needing to change and alter Peter's mindset. Because Peter's mindset all along is the law, the holy law of God, and the law of the Pharisees is that we don't eat and drink with Gentiles. That's not what we do. We don't associate with them. We don't live out our lives alongside them. And God needs to work in Peter's life in a pretty powerful way, giving him a vision, a pretty startling vision, that one that he just can't get out of his head and his mind and doesn't understand quite what it means. God needs to work in his heart to teach him a very important lesson, which is once God makes it clean, it's clean. Once God makes it clean, it's, we, who are we to tell it that it's unclean? And so God uses the example of food. I like the way God works because oftentimes he uses what's on our mind. What's on Peter's mind? Why, why does the Bible tell us? It's weird. Why does the Bible tell us that Peter's hungry and so he goes up to the rooftop? Well, because it explains that when God speaks to Peter in his hunger, 
he's all of a sudden having a vision about food. Isn't that the way it works when we are uh, when we when we're hungry? That's why they tell you not to go grocery shopping when you're hungry because you end up buying things that are not on your list, right? That's the way it works. God, that's the way God works sometimes. And when He speaks to us, He speaks to us in a language where we understand and are thinking about. It. And so, as Peter's thinking of food, God uses this illustration of these are the animals you're not supposed to be eating, but go ahead and kill them and eat them anyways. And Peter's like. What? Why am I having this vision? And even after God tells that, or the angel of the Lord tells Simon Peter three times, whatever I have called clean, do not call it impure or unclean. He still is not understanding where this is going. And it takes these men coming to him, these Gentiles, who he probably, and I'm just going based on the way God speaks to Peter, I'm 90% sure that he would have sent them away immediately had he not had this vision. The Holy Spirit had to work in his heart to soften his heart towards these Gentiles who were coming because he had a hardened heart towards Gentiles. And it wasn't conscious. It's not like he thought they were lowly. and No, it says here that Cornelius was respected by the Jews. It's, it's fine. They respected them. They just didn't want to eat with them. You know, it's like racism. It's like separate but equal. That was their mentality. That's this is not you know from the fifties and sixties. This is this is from two thousand years ago. We we you know we we like them, but we don't associate with them. God had to break through that by the power of the Holy Spirit to show Peter and by extension show us that we are not the judge of what is pure and impure. We are not the judge of what is clean and unclean. God is that judge. And that's a that's an interesting and really broad. It's important to not take that out of context, but it's also important to understand that when God speaks into our lives, we need to be obedient to what that says, what the Holy Spirit says. As much as uh, as Christians and believers, we like to pretend we're not judgmental. Unfortunately, we are judgmental people. People regularly in North America like to write other people off. That's what they do. We don't, we don't, we wouldn't say that. We wouldn't, maybe we wouldn't say, oh, that, oh, that person's a lost cause. I guarantee you, if you do, you're mistaken. Even if we don't say it out loud, we think it. And even if we don't consciously think it, the way we treat people belies that fact, proves that we're actually thinking that way. I think sometimes, even with ourselves, we're awfully hard on ourselves for sin that God has already forgiven. And it manifests itself in two ways. One, the devil gets down on us and we beat ourselves up and God says, as far as the east is from the west, that's how far I have separated you from your transgressions. I've separated your sin from you as far as the east can be from the west, which is to say, impossibly far. And so either we sulk about it and we feel sorry for ourselves and God says, get up, you're already forgiven, you're clean, you're made holy, and you're not to declare yourself impure or unholy. Or I think lots of people take the other approach, which is, oh, I'm just a sinner anyways, I might as well just give in. I just, I can't, I can't help myself. That's just who I am. It's just my personality. Or, oh, the devil made me do it. Or, oh, I'll just never get over this temper. It's just who I am. It's my human nature. Get up, get over it. Knock it off. <laughs> we are declaring ourselves impure and unclean, and God says, no, you are holy. Be holy as I am holy. Be perfect as I am perfect. 
<laughs> you know what? That's a high calling, folks. And we go, oh, I'm just a sinner with a sinful nature. I guess I'll just give in to it. That's exactly what Paul writes about when he says, shall we go on sinning so that grace may abound in, in the book of Romans? By no means. Of course not. Don't be crazy. Yes, we are sinners. It doesn't give us license to continue sinning. You, when you accepted Christ, when you became born again, whenever, and we don't, some of us, it's a mystery when that happened. It's, it's like this process. It's not even a, uh, uh, at some point, you were born again. I don't know how to identify it all the time for all people. It looks different for everyone. But at some point, you were born again. And at that moment, God began the process of sanctification. But in that moment, he also, gave us the gift of atonement, which is to say that your sin was forgiven and you were holy in that moment. You probably didn't feel like it, but you are. We need to live like it sometimes. We need to, we need to understand. I, I don't understand why we keep going back to it because we keep going back to that old, dead, sinful nature. Once it's been made clean, we shouldn't be making it unclean. Likewise, on the flip side of that, not only with ourselves, but we are called, we're not, we're not told to call people clean or unclean or deem them to be unworthy of God somehow. When we write people off with our attitudes, we are doing the very thing that God told Peter not to do. Those Gentiles, they're unclean, they're sinners, they're, they're, not, they're ceremonially unclean, and they are spiritually unclean. And Peter was hands off until the Holy Spirit spoke to him and told him no. You do not deem these people unclean, for what I have made clean cannot be unclean. Cannot be unclean. That's, I mean, that's a remarkable teaching. What God has called clean, it is not our business to change the status of that being clean or unclean. We can't write people off just because we think we're better than them. The fact is all of sin and fall short of the glory of God. So continuing on, Peter preaches the word to the Gentiles in Caesarea, and he, he reminds them in verse 36, he says, you know the message. You've heard this before. I, I'm just going to read um, all of what Peter says because he preaches a better sermon than I do. So if you want to follow from verse 34, Peter's kind of asking them, you may remember, he's asking them, why did you call for me? And Cornelius tells him the story. And in verse 34 it says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. You know what happened throughout the province of Judea, beginning in Galilee after the baptism that John preached, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil, because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross, but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. He was not seen by all the people, but by witnesses whom God had already chosen, by us who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. He commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through that name. So that's the good news. That's, that's what Peter's talking about. This is the good news. 
I don't know. This is a good. The reason I know this is a good sermon is because it says in verse forty-four, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message, and all of a sudden they're baptized in the Holy Spirit. I wish that would happen every time I preached. <laughs> Probably didn't happen every time Peter preached. It just seems like every time I hear Peter standing up to preach, it's like the first time he gets up to preach on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 join their church. That's a good day. <laughs> it's a good day when you're a pastor. I'll tell you that right now. I've never had it happen. <laughs> God is calling us to this message, this gospel, this good news, and it's through and through. I mean, Peter summarizes it. He says, you know this, and yet I'm going to preach it to you anyways. That God does not show favoritism, but accepts ev from every nation, every person, it doesn't matter what kind of background you have. He accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. He accepts us when we repent of our sin and do what's right. And it says, and capping it off in verse 43, all the people who believe, sorry, excuse me, all the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. That kind of caps it off from start to finish. We're called to be obedient. We're called to believe in his name and receive forgiveness of sins. And then he calls us into obedience to do what he says. Well, what does that, that do for us? I, it, he, he says it quite clearly. He says, the message God sent to the people of Israel announcing the good news, the gospel of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. That's, that's kind of the summary, and that's the end result of the message of the gospel, peace through Jesus Christ. That really is, when you, when you, if you consider it, if you consider the, the broadness of what that means, is the gospel. That's where the word gospel comes from. Good news, when it says God, good news, euangelion, good, you, and angelion, messenger, the good message, euangelion, or evangelist. That's where we get the word evangelist, just means good messenger. And so we, we, we get the word message or messenger, angelion, and we get the word good, which is the, the word you, or it's added on to the front. We have this good message, as we've come to hear it today, a good news. And that good news is peace. That's, it's interesting that Peter says that. The way he phrases it is just so simple, and yet the understanding of it, the application of it, is huge and vast. Because when he says there's peace for all through Jesus Christ, he's not talking about a, a comfortable chair to sit in and a quiet day to read. When God says, I give peace, he says that you will have peace in every single part of your life. And so that starts with the peace of trusting God and not being thrown by every wave and every storm that comes from it, it comes from peace in our finances that we will have peace financially doesn't mean necessarily we'll be rich it means that we will be have enough that God will provide what we need that's peace peace financially doesn't mean that we win the lottery in fact that's just the opposite of peace in my opinion if you've ever known anyone who's won the lottery before, I don't think it gives bring a lot of peace. Financial peace is about trusting God that, that He has our best interests, trusting God with every part of our finances, and Him making our finances whole when we entrust them to Him because we're stewards of what He's given us. Not owners, but stewards, those who manage the gifts that he's given us. When Jesus enters our life, he brings peace to every part of it. 
It's life-encompassing, and the whole of it, the, the end result, the biggest result of that peace is peace with God. Where before we were enemies with God, we were rebellious against God in our sin, just as Adam and Eve rebelled against God and were punished for their sin by experiencing death for the first time, by experiencing all, all the, the curses that came upon them, everything that they had to go through as punishment for their sin. We too rebelled against God in our sinful nature. And we're born into it with a sinful nature, and therefore we are opposed to God without Jesus Christ, without faith in God. Well, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, when we call on the name of the Lord and are saved, are receive forgiveness of sins, now we are at peace with God. What could be more important than that? To not be opposed to God anymore. And so Jesus, he, he's, we're told in Scripture that he is the Prince of Peace. And therefore, when Jesus enters your life, guess what he brings with him? Peace. He brings peace. He mends broken relationships and he heals them. He brings peace to our families. That doesn't mean the absence of conflict. It's deeper than that. It's, it's a peace that abides through the conflict, knowing that we are still united. Not by the bonds of blood, but by the bonds of peace. He's given us, as, as a church and as Christians, he gives us the ministry of reconciliation because Jesus is a, a, a man and a God of reconciliation because he brings peace to our relationships. He brings peace to our soul and our minds and every part of our lives. And therefore, on the flip side of that, when we walk away from Jesus, guess what we also walk away from? We walk away from peace. We remove peace from our lives. And so if you know Jesus, you know what peace is. But if you have no Jesus, then trust me, you have no peace. Peace in every part of our lives is a reflection of Jesus being in every part of our lives. And if we are not welcoming Jesus into parts of our lives, guess what sections of our lives are not going to have peace? It's not complicated, but it is difficult to implement sometimes to allow God to work through every part of our lives, those parts that we're hiding away, whether, whether they're um, you know, shrouded by sin or just shrouded by selfishness or God, not wanting to give that control over to God in that area. Guess, guess what's going to keep us awake at night, stressing and worrying? Because we haven't allowed the power of the Holy Spirit into that part. We haven't allowed Jesus in to bring his peace to that situation. And it's, it's not that we can't give in to worry or we, we, don't, we never worry, we never stress, we never have any. No, Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. And he told us to take heart because he's overcome the world. Our stress is part of that overcoming. And he can give us peace in those areas. We need to keep giving it to him. It's, it's, get, trust me, it's hard. I, I get it. Continuing on, once again, we see the Holy Spirit demonstrated in verses 45 and 46. We see it lived out in very real and practical ways that the Holy Spirit is for everyone. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking those words, these words, the Holy Spirit came upon all who heard the message and the circumcised believers. When you read that, it's just saying Jewish. The Jewish believers who had come with Peter from Joppa, they were astonished astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even upon the Gentiles. 
for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. They heard these Gentile people and they got to experience what Peter already knew, which is what I have made clean, you are not to declare unclean. They got to see that lived out by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and all these people speaking in a language they didn't know before. They were not speaking in their own language. They wouldn't call it speaking in tongues. If they were speaking in their own language, God gave them utterance. The Jews who were with Peter were astonished at that gift. And remember what God told Peter, what I've made clean, you must not call impure. We're seeing Acts 2, and before that we're seeing Joel 2, that prophecy, that in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all people, all flesh, Jews and Gentiles, young and old, slave and free, male and female. I will pour out my spirit on all people, and no one is disqualified from that. They start speaking in tongues, praising God in languages they didn't know before. And if you think that that's not for you, you're sadly mistaken. If you think that speaking in tongues, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want anything to do with that. Unfortunately, God, God still wants to do that in you. And if we reject it, we're rejecting part of what God, God's desire is for us. Tongues is evidence of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And it's a symbol because when God controls our speech, he controls the one thing that in the book of James, in James 1, I think it is, James 1 and 2 anyways, when, when James te- well, the book of James tells us that the, the tongue is a relentless evil, that no man can tame the tongue, so that when we speak in tongues, we are proving that only the Holy Spirit is able to tame what we say. Only the Holy Spirit can control Every part of the man, even the one part that we can't control, the one part that's like a small spark that starts a raging wildfire, the one part that's like a a rudder that steers a large ship, that part, like the bit in the horse's mouth that controls everything we do, that we can't control ourselves, that James tells us is set on fire by hell itself, (laughs) that thing that we are so out of control with, and I guarantee you we're all guilty of saying things we shouldn't have said in a tone we shouldn't have said them in, that part, when we speak in tongues, God says, I will even control that. And that lesson, that object lesson, then continues on to say, now you'll control it in your day-to-day life. Because you haven't tamed it. I have, says the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the powerful lesson of what speaking in tongues is. That if nobody can tame their own tongue, that, that, that it must come from the Holy Spirit. That's a lesson for us. And that lesson for us is when we, it's, it's for everyone. I mean, it's for every Christian believer. You don't need to be scared of it. It's the symbol of being in control of every single part, even the parts we cannot master ourselves. That gift of the Holy Spirit is for every person in this room and for every believer in Jesus Christ. We can be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We can speak in tongues that we didn't know before. We speak in a language we didn't know. That lesson ties in with our last lesson, which is just not to count anyone out. That's what Peter is told by the Holy Spirit, and it's what these Jewish believers are seeing with their own eyes. They thought that the message... And early on in the church, the message did go to the Jews first. Guess who was attentive and listening to God, the Father, to Yahweh, the God of the Bible? Well, the people who knew the Bible. It started there, and the message came to them, and then it spread to the Gentiles. And this is the early, you know, the early instances of that happening. 
This is why Jesus went to tax collectors and sinners and prostitutes to teach us that the message of grace, of the good news of Jesus Christ, that peace will be to all men on whom his favor rests, to those who believe in him, who follow him, that peace that's for peace and goodwill to all men on whom his favor rests, a message of joy that will be for all people, that Christmas message that comes through Jesus Christ, it comes to shepherds first. Not Pharisees, not religious, not righteous, not holy. It comes to us by extension, and we're not excluded from it just because we have a sinful nature. If the Bible teaches us anything by the character studies we do throughout Scripture, when you look at the heroes of the Bible, as we would call them, the lesson we learn time and time again is that God can use anyone and routinely does, regularly uses ordinary people like us to do extraordinary things. Cornelius sounds very extraordinary because he's devout. He's devout. And we read about him and we see, man, he had a vision at three in the afternoon. He wasn't sleeping. It was three in the afternoon. That's it's math. <laughs> he probably wasn't having a nap. He was he was in prayer and says he was devout and God fearing. His family, his whole family, believed in God and was devout and God fearing. He gave regularly to the poor and he was in prayer. He was devoted to prayer and he prayed regularly. And he has this extreme experience with the Holy Spirit where God tells him something very extremely specific which is to go to a specific person's house who names that person. <laughs> and the, the, the angel names not only that person, but tells them where he lives by the sea. He lives just down by the bay, like the song goes, where the watermelons grow. No. And God tells, gives him a very specific vision and goes, says, you're going to go find a man named Simon, because Simon lives by the sea. And another man is going to be there who also is named Simon, but goes by Peter because he's the rock. And he's, you're going to go and find... And, and Cornelius, in, in his right mind, goes, there's no way I'm going or sending anyone. Like the, the odds of that are astronomical, of that being true, unless the Holy Spirit said it. He has this, I mean, a pretty remarkable encounter. And the word of the Lord comes to the Gentiles in this area, in Caesarea, because of Cornelius' obedience to the Holy Spirit. You know what Cornelius did that made him so remarkable? Not much. He prayed and was devout and gave to the poor. I mean, that's the, that's the extent of it, really. Guess what all of us are capable of doing? I mean, really, the exact same thing. It's not rocket surgery, as Dave Ramsey likes to say. It's not rocket surgery or brain science. Or brain surgery or rocket science. <laughs> it's, it's simple to understand, very difficult, I think, to implement sometimes. It's another great example of the Holy Spirit working in ways that sometimes we're not even aware of. Because Cornelius is not aware that Peter is going to receive this message from the Holy Spirit. And Peter is not aware that Cornelius has received this message from the Holy Spirit until they share that story together. We don't know all the ways God is working. We just need to be obedient to our part of the story. While Peter is having the vision that prepares his heart to go to the Gentiles, Cornelius is also having the vision to prompt him to connect with Peter and invite him. And because of that obedience to God on both sides, revival starts breaking out in Caesarea because the Holy Spirit is working. So let's be people who act like, like Cornelius and Peter. Let's be devout. Uh, let's be a, a church that's committed to walking a deeper walk with God. To be devout in prayer 
to be devout in giving to the needy and the poor, and to be devout in our fear of God because it makes us obedient to Him. Let's be a church that never counts anyone out because we know that what God has declared clean, we must never declare impure. There's no, there are no lost causes in our lives. And so just like Peter does, let's share the gospel. He comes to share the good news of peace from Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace. That's our message to share. Let's pray.